0: Uh, if, if I haven't met you before, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church Madison, and uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. We are in what's our launch month, so this is kind of our big, grand opening as a church, and you're here for the second Sunday of launch month. So you could do a lot of things in your life. Being here for the second Sunday of Christ Church Madison launch month uh, is a high point. So uh, I hope you'll agree with me. Um, we are, in this month, digging into our vision as a church, which is we are a community coming home to Jesus and his church. Is kind of, uh, I feel like, what most defines us. Last week, we talked about this idea of just coming home. We are people who are far away, and we are coming home to God and to finding a home in his church. So, core to our identity as a group of people is a movement, Really unique. I feel like this is what God has given us. We are all on this pilgrimage together, coming home to Jesus and coming home to his church. And I think in our community, um, there are two different places where lots of us come from. So two different groups, two different places. The first group is made up of those of us who are super new to Christianity and religion and God and all this stuff. So you probably didn't grow up in tons of church, maybe you went a few times, but for the most part, the Bible's like, whoa, super foreign and maybe kind of weird. Uh, Church is kind of crusty, maybe. You're like, I I don't know what to think about church. God's ambiguous. And uh, so you might be like, this is weird. We're in a gym. There's like seniors on the wall. You're wearing a collar. We're saying stuff together. This is weird. What's going on? Uh, You're new. The second group is those of us who grew up right in the middle of all this stuff. So that's those of us who uh, you really, really grew up in church with the Bible, Jesus, everything. You're super familiar, but through time that familiarity maybe led to a little bit of boredom or pain or disenchantment, and ultimately to distance between maybe it was your upbringing or your previous relationship with faith and the present. So you have maybe questions about faith or maybe issues with faith, but it's from the inside, not from the outside. Does that make sense? So maybe as opposed to saying, this is really weird, I don't understand any of this. You're like, I get all of this and none of the church tricks work on me, so don't even try them. Uh, and, but you're kind of sifting through your faith and your relationship with God and you want to pursue it, but there's a, there's a disenchantment there. And those are very different backgrounds. Uh, those are very different places, but I think what's unique about our community is we have a passion for both of those people at the same time to be walking side by side one another on a journey home to Jesus and his church. It's kind of bizarre. We We have a passion for those people from those two different groups. That is all of us. Just speaking personally, my prayer is that in Madison, as we Continue to grow as a little plant or a little little sprig right now, but as we continue to grow, that we would always be bursting at the seams with people more and more from those two different places. You guys understand? Stand me there. Okay. The hard part is how do you do something as a church with such disparate groups of people? How can a vision uh, work at the same time for people who have no idea what Christianity is? And people have so much of an idea that they're disenchanted and it's really tough for them to get back into their Christian faith. The answer uh, is it's not impossible because the answer is the same for both groups of people. And that is encountering the person of Jesus Christ. Duh answer from a pastor, right? Um, But hear me out. Regardless of your lostness, regardless if you were in like every youth group meeting ever your whole life, or regardless if you have no idea what youth group is, the answer for you in order to come back into an actual, intimate, deep, profound, transformative relationship with the living God is you actually encounter Jesus. It's the same for both of you. It's not just liking certain ideas, Uh, or wanting a church to raise your kids or whatever reason that we might be drawn to Christianity that is ultimately going to change us. It's only through actually meeting the living God. And this is possible because Jesus wants you to meet him. He's made himself available to you so that you can encounter him, which is why it's possible for us to say this. So if you're in the first camp and you're confused by all this stuff, Jesus's entire ministry is bridge building. He literally became a human so that we could understand him. You don't have to be super li- religious. You don't have to understand all the stuff we're doing. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, I don't get lots of this stuff. It's okay. Jesus is the one who builds bridges. He is the one who has specifically made himself understandable. So it doesn't matter what you've read or where you're at in your life, you can encounter him. Isn't that awesome? Jesus defeated death. He has the authority and the power to build a bridge to you, no matter where you're at. Amen? He's able to do that. If you're in the second camp, you need to know that aside from actually meeting and encountering Jesus, disenchantment and maybe like a critical spirit, whatever it is, will spiral you into an oblivion. Trust me, I have been there, it has been bad. And one day you end up, like Julian Barnes, who famously said in one of his novels, I don't believe in God anymore, but I miss him. It's only Jesus. And Jesus has the authority and the power to even build bridges to people who are so familiar with church and all the junk that's tied to cultural Christianity that they don't even understand faith anymore and wouldn't even want it. Jesus even has the authority to build a bridge to you. That's almost harder to believe. You guys feel me on that? He does. And when we encounter Jesus, our heart melts. We learn to love him again, and then we learn to love his church again because he loves the church. It's his bride. It's his body. And we learn to love his word again because it's his word. So the big, massive idea of this sermon is that it's impossible to come home to anything else without coming home to Jesus first. You have to come home to Jesus first, which is why Jesus is first in our vision statement, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. But this begs the question, how does this happen? How does one encounter Jesus if this is so pivotal? And uh, instead of just giving some tried answer, I just want us to read this story that Matthew read this morning. Um, I want to direct us to a Bible story that I hope you take with you and you carry with you for the rest of your life as an example of this. And this story begins with people who are confused and sad and don't get anything that's going on. And I think in this story, there's actually a shape and a logic to how these two guys encounter Jesus that I think is the same for us. And so I want us to just dig through this story and I'm going to pull out like three things that I think mark uh, an essential encounter with Jesus. What that might look like for us. Does sound good? Alright. Open up to your, to your Bible or your uh, bulletin to Luke what is it? Page 8. Everybody go to page 8. I know this is big but we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, we're going to work through it. So we're going to start in verse 13. Everybody there? This story is is absolutely insane. I hope if nothing else you realize how amazing the Bible is after we dig into this. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Uh, Now I just have to start and point out here that these guys are on a journey. They're on the road. I might be taking a little bit of poetic license here, but... Nothing in the Bible is just extra details. And I like that these two guys are just walking. They're traveling. They're on a pilgrimage. They're on a journey. And what are they doing? They're doing what every two dudes who've walked together on a journey forever have done. They're trying to figure out the political, spiritual, social situation that they're in. They have no idea how to figure it out, but they're talking about it. And they were talking with each other about all these things. Uh, For a little context, Jesus has just been crucified in Jerusalem, um, which they'll talk more about what they're talking about. But they're trying to figure out all this stuff that's just happened. So that's the context there. Verse 15, let's pick it back up. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Uh, And he said to them, What things? And oh my gosh, the dramatic irony. I just find this hilarious that the risen Christ is like, What? I don't know what's going on. Like, you tell me. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth Who said that he was alive? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What I want you to see here is Jesus doing what Jesus does best, first and foremost, and that is building a bridge. These guys are confused, they're sad probably like despondent. Think of whatever other word you can imagine these guys are feeling. And what does Jesus do? He draws alongside them. He builds a bridge into their sadness, into their confusion, into their space. And what I love about this story is that before they even know what he's doing or who he is, Jesus is there. And what's Jesus doing? He's pushing them He's like pressing the buttons of their confusion and sadness, and he's gently prodding them to get him to see them as he is, which is going to happen later. But at first, he's walking alongside of them, and he's just kind of gently nudging them. For those of you who have met Jesus, you're here this morning and you would say that's happened. I bet, to quote Amazing Grace, in the hour you first believed, later on when you look back, you can see, oh my gosh, Jesus was walking alongside me before then working in my life until this moment when I kind of had this encounter with him. Give me some head nods if if you would agree with that. Jesus was there. You didn't even know it. You didn't start this process. Jesus did. If you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus, is it possible that Jesus is walking alongside you and gently prodding you and pushing you and leading you to reveal himself to you? first thing I want to highlight out of this is Jesus comes to you before you come to him. And that takes a lot of pressure off this whole thing. Amen? Jesus comes to us long before we ever come to him. These guys are just in the middle of it, and Jesus is right there, and I have no idea. He builds the bridge. He became a human. His cross and resurrection, everything, is building a bridge to us that we might be able to interact with him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he does the same thing individually to you and me today. Jesus comes to us before we come to him. To get back to the story, they say all this stuff to Jesus, and then Jesus answers. After he goes, what things? I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 25. Everybody go back with me. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, The second thing I just want to pull out of this that I think we, we see as essential to an encounter with Jesus is that it will revolve around his cross and his resurrection. Uh, To put it another way, I think the light bulb that Jesus wants to turn on in these guys' minds has to do with his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the necessity of both. Did you see that word in there? Did you not know that it was what? Necessary. Necessary. He is not trying to say and get these guys to realize that he's an awesome guy or a great prophet or a healer. They get that. What is it? Verse 19, they understand. Jesus was amazing. We actually thought he was the one who was gonna redeem Israel. They got that. What do they not understand? The cross and the necessity of the cross and the resurrection. Um, When we think Jesus is just a political figure or we kind of lump him with Gandhi and a bunch of other awesome people in history, it's easy for him to just kind of get categorized and parceled out. People were constantly trying to figure this out with Jesus. Are you a political leader? Are you crazy? Are you just like some zen guy? Like what is the deal? And this never made sense to, that kind of stuff makes sense to people, which is why people immediately thought that. But what no one ever got was why Jesus would lay down his life and then rise again, why that would be necessary. And that's what Jesus is going for here, because it meant something. If you're going to have a transformational reintroduction or an encounter with Jesus, it's going to happen when the sacrificial love and the suffering and the humility and the authority and the power of God and Jesus Christ crucified becomes amazing to you again. It's going to happen when you witness that And your heart is melted by the glory of Jesus being crucified and risen again. Um, The teachings of Jesus, uh, kind of parceling out Christian philosophy or thinking about, you know, is church a good way to spend time or not? That will do absolutely nothing. That has no authority or warmth to melt your heart. You'll fall again on your face and worship Jesus once again because you see the great humility and depth and beauty of God himself becoming a human and dying, even when he didn't deserve it for you. Amen? Amen. Jesus kind of rebukes these guys for not getting it. Oh, foolish ones. Sounds kind of harsh. He, he rebukes them because he's like, you should have known from the Old Testament, from the Bible, that it was necessary. But Jesus is gracious and then has to have led these guys on the greatest Bible study of all time. I think we can all agree that uh, if anybody, if there's one Bible study I would have wanted to sit in, it would have been this one. And from the context, I've, I've known Jesus does this, but from the context, what is Jesus probably doing in the Old Testament? He's proving to these guys that it was necessary that the Messiah should suffer and rise again. This is really interesting. Now, what would he have said? Who knows? Uh, I certainly am not going to say what I, who knows what he said. But I wonder, he had to have said something about how Abraham and Isaac, God promised Abraham that he would provide on the mountain of the Lord so that Abraham's son didn't have to die. Right? He had to have at least talked about how in the Passover, reminding them that a lamb was slain so that the wrath of God passed over the people. He had to have opened up the book of Isaiah and talked about how, what is it, the servant of the Lord would bear our griefs, carry our sorrows, that he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that upon him would be the chastisement that brought us peace, that by his wounds we would be healed. I wonder if he would have talked about Hosea where it says, O death, where is your sting as God is going to ransom his people from death and defeat it? Whatever he said, it was about his death and resurrection. Your heart won't be melted because you think Jesus is a good guy or you think this is a good community. Do you understand that? Your life will be transformed when you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, come to see and witness the glory of the cross again. There's a, uh, a hymn I love called Lord Dissolve My Frozen Heart. What a great hymn title. Uh, But the chorus goes like this. It says, the love of Christ passes knowledge. The love of Christ eases fear. The love of Christ strikes a man's heart and pierces him like a spear. We don't write music like that anymore. It's the love of Jesus on the cross, suffering in your place and risen again in glory, that pierces you like a spear in the heart so essential to an encounter with Jesus that I think we see here. He moves to us first. He draws alongside you first. And what he does when he draws alongside you is he prods you and pushes you and kind of nurtures you into a space where you can once again understand why it was necessary that he had to die and rose again and why that is good news. It's good news. But the story's not done. These guys haven't even had their aha moment yet and Jesus is literally leading their Bible study. That's encouraging to me sometimes. It's like, hey, even Jesus was doing this and the penny hadn't dropped yet, okay? Let's keep reading in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going and he acted as if he was going further. I love he's still messing with these guys. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it And gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The third thing that I think comes out of this as like a a part of the logic or the shape of an encounter with Jesus is that it has to do with word and table. Uh, We've talked so much about this if you've journeyed with us in this church plant. And I hope it's not getting old, but I hope you see this isn't my own insight. I'm not making this up. Do you see it here? What is it that brings these guys to see the risen Christ? What does Jesus do first? He opens up the scriptures. And then what happens? He does the four same motions we talked about in the feeding of the 5,000. He gets bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to them. And then they see them. And even they say later, Jesus became known to us in the breaking of the bread. I still get shocked how this is everywhere. That's why we do this. Jesus' body was gathered up. It was blessed. It was broken. And it was given for the life of the people. And here's what blew my mind this week. Jesus is actually there. And he still does this. Isn't that shocking? Meaning, we all wish the risen Christ would be here with us. And he is, again, we've talked why he is. But even if he was here, he would probably crack open the Bible and invite us to his table. That's what he did with these guys. He used word and table in the way that they actually ended up seeing him. So Jesus meets us in his word. It points to him and it illuminates him. It draws us to him with burning hearts. And you cannot love Jesus and not love the Bible. Uh, It's been easy sometimes for me to love the idea of Jesus but kind of hate the Bible because I thought it was culturally passe or whatever, but you cannot separate those two things. It's his word. What does he use to reveal himself? In this context, the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. When we learn to love Jesus and our heart melts because we meet him personally, it personally melts our heart to his word. And he reveals himself to us in the Eucharist in the Lord's Supper. Again, those four motions, that same thing, Jesus uses, he meets us in a real way in the Lord's Supper where he becomes known to us. So to go back where we started, as a community coming home, the big idea here is, idea here, is that you cannot come home at all without coming home to him. He's the one who takes us home. He's the way, like we talked about last week. But we come home to him He's the bridge builder to everything. So if you're disenchanted with church, if you're disenchanted with God, if you have no idea about God or church or religion, but you're interested in these things, and you feel a yearning to come home, Jesus is the one we go to first. And what does that look like? What does it feel like to encounter him? At least, it's way more than this, but at least first Jesus comes to us before we ever come to him. He's going to be moving. He's the one who who comes to us. Praise God. Second, it's going to center around his cross and resurrection and an understanding of why it was necessary, why it's good news, and what it means. That's what pierces our heart like a spear. And third, it involves word and table. Even in this story, it involves word and table. So, how do we apply this uh, to, to land the plane here? First, Uh, I would encourage you to pray for Jesus to draw close to you. Um, If you're in either of those groups and you're like, man, that is me right now, pray that Jesus would do for you what you cannot do, which is build a bridge out of whatever you're in. Everybody understand what, what it's like to be stuck and not be able to get out? Jesus is the one who comes in. He builds a bridge to you, and we can pray to him, Lord Jesus draw alongside me. He loves to do that. Amen? Amen. And then commit your life to be steeped in the scriptures and commit your life to the sacramental life of the church. Because those are those two things where we continually open up inside us and meet him, open up our eyes to him. and That's why we do this stuff every week. And then in those things, We are constantly praying to have a deeper and more profound and a wider understanding and love and transformation and light of His cross and His resurrection, which is why those things are a big deal. That's why we have a a cross is like the main thing you see in our little church. Um, Just as an aside, starting in December, so we have two more church services, and then from December all the way to Easter and really to to May. We're gonna be reading in the Gospel of Luke bit by bit and we're just gonna be going through the whole life of Christ. So if you're like, I have no idea where to begin about this stuff, that sounds good, but practically I'm gonna leave and it's just gonna, I'm gonna forget all this and I have no idea what to do about it, just come back. Uh, that's what we're gonna do as an entire church. In fact, that's why we're planning this church. That's why we do Word and Table every week. That's why we're committed to these things because we want everybody to encounter Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's the point. That's like literally what the church is for. So just come. Uh, you've heard me say this before. Put yourself in the way of Christ. Hop in front of where, of where he's going and he'll be in this church. If you're here and your heart is burning within you, uh, like these two guys, and you long for this kind of a thing and you want to meet Jesus, you already know he wants to meet you and he's here. And he has the power to do so. I want to encourage you to take an act of faith, a step of faith. While we're taking communion, there's going to be three prayer ministers back there, maybe more if we need it. And I want to encourage you to get up and go receive prayer from them and ask them that you want prayer and help to see Jesus and encounter him and put your faith in him and know him. They're confidential. They're just good people. It's not special. They'll just pray for you. Jesus wants you to encounter him. He, he wants you to see him. He's made himself available. Would you pray with me? Jesus, do for our church plant. Do for our church. Do for our friends. Do for us what we cannot do. And Lord, walk along beside us. Lord, in all the ways that you're already walking beside each person here and moving in their life, oh Lord, would you bring us, open up the scriptures to us, meet us in the breaking of the bread, help us to see you and once more be melted, pierce our hearts with the love of Christ. For your name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray all these things.